1: This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Cast, we talk to Mr. Van Halen Rising, author Greg Renault. He has a new book out called Ted Templeman, a platinum producer's life in music. This is a great read for all music buffs out there, with classic stories of Ted's work with bands like Van Halen, Aerosmith, and the Bullet Boys. We talk about it all. Check it out. Greg, welcome to the 80s Glam Model Cast. How you doing, man?
0: I'm
2: great, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, no problem.
2: So you have a new book coming out, Ted Templeman, A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. How did this pairing come about with you two?
0: So uh, I wrote Van Halen Rising over the course of three or four years. In the last year I was working on the book, I was able to... Find a way to get in contact with Ted Templeman. He doesn't have a website, and he's sort of, you know, quasi-retired. He's working in the industry anymore, and so I was able to, to through a, a contact I made, get a way to reach him. And I talked to him and told him I was doing this book on the beginnings of Van Halen, and he said, "Yeah, I'll talk to you. Call me." And I called, and we talked for 30 or 40 minutes. And then when the book came out, um, I you know I quoted Ted in the book, and his interview uh, was based on obviously his experiences recording Van Halen's first record and his Signing of Van Halen in 1977, and he, he uh, when he contacted me in the uh, days after the book first came out, or the week after the book came out, he got the copy, he wanted it to come out, and he really liked it. And uh, we talked a couple of times prior to um, prior to uh, you know the book kind of rolling out all the way. And he I asked him if he would be willing to come out and do a book event with me, and he was willing to do that. He didn't want to pass it either with me, and we kind of hit it off and talked and. I had a real interest in his career beyond just Van Halen and he uh, started emailing me and I'd email him back and that sort of how it all sort of snowballed from there. I eventually asked him if he'd be interested in doing a book on his life. And uh, he was, you know, I think he was at first a little bit tentative because he, he's not a, a guy who's out there kind of, you know, pounding his chest. In. It's not, you know, that's not the way a lot of producers aren't, are, are, uh, are kind of behind the scenes personalities. That's why they got into being producers. They don't want to, in the spotlight, and uh, I kind of explained to Ted that my vision for the book was to really pay tribute to the artists he worked with from Doobie Brothers to LeVan Halen, to Carly Simon to Buller Boys to Honeywood Sweet. You know, you go on this huge, huge list uh, to try to do my best to tell his life story and then highlight the great music that he made with these artists. Uh, he was he was game for doing it, and it, it uh, then started uh, the process, which took took longer than I expected. It, it ended up taking almost, uh, Van Halen Rising came out in 2015 and now we're in 2020, obviously. So it took, um, you know, it took a good, good portion of four years to really, with time I really got the book rolling with him um, to now to get it out. So uh, it's been a lot of work and I'm, I'm proud of it. But, um, you know, it's been uh, a really uh, dream come true for a guy who grew up a Van Halen fan and loved all the albums that Ted did from once he did with Aerosmith and like we could go on and on, you know, I was able to the uh, Sammy Hagar VOA to be able to sit with him and hear his stories and have him explain to me how he produced records and what he tried to do when working with uh, great talent like rehearsal and these types of things. It was, it was an awesome experience and uh, it was great.
2: So you had to be, obviously, like you said, you were excited to kind of get that inside point of view. Were there some things that he told you that just blew your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I don't know if you know, it blew my mind. I mean, there were definitely things that I was surprised to learn from working uh, working with him, talking about working with artists. But to me, you know, what I didn't really understand when I started working with him, what 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 a producer really did in detail. I sort of had a general sense of that uh, in terms of well, the producer might pick the songs and then coaches the artist in the studio. But to really understand the psych, uh, what Ted explained to me about the psychology of working with artists in the studio. How you sequence a record? Um, how you keep a a group from feeling uh, overwhelmed or bogged down in the studio? How you, his tricks for sort of keeping them fresh? So to think about those things, that was a whole side of the music business I didn't know anything about. So you know, there were plenty of things he would tell me about, um, which we talk about in the, the book, write about in the book about his his interactions with bands as they're breaking up and these types of things. But for me. As interesting as that was just kind of learning how a producer thinks, if that makes sense, because that's something that I didn't really know much about, and I wanted to make sure that the book did justice to that um, aspect of, of Ted's life and Ted's story, because obviously that's what you know that was what he made his uh, career on, being a great producer.
2: So what do you think, at least let's say applied to Van Halen, was he there more to make what they already had sound good, or was he in on the creative part as well?
0: No, I think all. I think both of those things. I mean, I think the thing is that what Ted is really good at is, well, first of all, picking songs. I mean, Ted was obviously instrumental in picking songs for the record. Um, he had the final say on the songs that um, made uh, made the records in almost all instances. Not totally, but almost, you know, in, all, in I'd say 97% of the time, um, you know, he was able to sort of, you know, he would go for consensus, but if there was a song he really thought wasn't going to work, he he would be able to you know say we should save that for later put that back in the can and we'll come back around to that later so you know there's that aspect there's also the actual song craft part of it where you know, Ted wasn't writing the songs but Ted was certainly somebody who would listen to a demo or listen to a, a studio take and say hey he's sang this differently or you did this uh, guitar part differently or hey how about this drums enter um, a little bit later into the beginning of a song or something those are the types of things that that obviously Ted would do in terms of arrangements and sort of um, you know, standing off the rough edges off a song, so that would be stuff for for sure. Um, you know, and then the, the whole aspect of producing is about capturing great performances, which is, you know, in some cases you just let the person go at it, and you're going to get a great performance, you know, maybe in the case of someone like, um, you know, like an Eddie Van Halen, or maybe a uh, a Carly Simon, someone who's just superlative type of talent, you're going to be able to kind of let them sing, and, or let them play, and you're going to get good stuff, but other people, you know, are... are um, a little more challenged in the studio it's a difficult it's a difficult thing Cause every single note every single breath every single everything you do is magnified and so there might be more um you know minute type of coaching or that ted would try to do to try to get performances out of people who who um you know maybe weren't as quote unquote um i don't want to say necessarily musically gifted but more more well suited or to the studio environment so you know there was all those parts of things and then there's things like sequencing a record which i mentioned already, but that's something Ted, Ted did too, which is, as we all know, you know, you got to have a, an album that flows well, and that was what, what Ted would, would do after he mixed with Don Landy, they would sequence, or Ted would sequence, which is thinking, hey, which is going to be the first song, what's going to be the second song, uh, what's going to be the last song on the record, and that, those are all the things that would go into the, the you know, job as the producer, and there's more,
2: but that's sort of a, you know, sort of a beginnings of it for sure, the big parts of it. Did he allude to some of what like, what his favorites were with Van Halen to work on? And did any of that change over time? Because I know with all of us, sometimes we're really in the zone with something while it's out, and then years later we're kind of like, eh, you know what I mean? Or, or vice versa.
1: Well, you know,
0: I, I go into this in great detail in the book. I mean, I'll say that his favorite song by Van Halen for sure is "Any talking about love. I mean, whenever we would talk about Van Halen, Ted would go back to that song that's sort of as the, as the definitive... Van Halen's song. I mean, mm-hmm. you, know, you, know, you could say "Run with the Devil" and some other ones he would he liked too. Unchained, I would mean, he obviously liked all those songs. But um, he would always talk about how that the lyric, the riff, uh, the vocal, the whole the whole performance, especially the lyrics by Roth. He would really talk about how amazing those lyrics were and how that was a real um, for him a big landmark in his career just to be a, you know to have uh, something like that be something he produced. He just said sort of thought it just came together so well and gives a lot of credit to the engineer. Don Landy worked in that. Don was the guy. Ted thinks he came up with the idea to put the sitar on the guitar solo, which makes that really sparkle. That whole guitar solo, and then the uh, the riff, and just the whole thing from top to bottom. You know, another thing is that uh, you know, Ted would talk about the song, the song Jump, where when he first heard it, he was not sure. And there's a lot of this talk about this this whole the making of nineteen eighty four in the book, and you know, Ted didn't think that the jump. Idea the musical idea to sort of a jump the keyboard part in the sort of the beginning of the demo that Eddie had written he didn't necessarily think the jump would fit with Van Halen's um, catalog he didn't necessarily think it would be the song they should do that would be too in other words as a producer from what I've learned from Ted you want to think about you know if a, if an artist really takes a left turn is the public going to accept it is they going to like it or is it too much you know you could you know think of other other examples you know um, an example might be like Linda Ronstadt went Went New Wave in 1980, which people accepted. You know, maybe they didn't her her um, sales weren't as big as they had been at her peak, but they people sort of went with it. You know, it's that type of thing where Ted thought, "Oh, this is a this is a completely keyboard driven song. I'm not sure Van Halen should be doing this song on a Van Halen record." But you know, over time, of course, he's come to see, and he gives full credit in the book to Ed for having the vision to get the song. Um, you know, basically to advocate for the song. It's a good song, and then. You know, Ted said, "Yeah, let's work on it. Let's see where it goes." And then he gives a lot of credit to Dave for coming up with the great lyric, as well. Which you know, both parts—the great, the great melody, the great, um, the great keyboard riff, the great guitar solo—and then that that um, go ahead and jump chorus that Ted is like, you know, emphasizes how catchy that is and how that was Dave's genius. Something so simple that everyone could kind of relate to and kind of understand. So, you know, so Ted went from being kind of hesitant about jump to being now realizing that, you know, that was a, that was a huge moment in Van Halen's career. That was a revolutionary song. So he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, he, uh, he made the joke in the book. He told me it a couple of times. So we put it in there that it said, you know, I, I remember when I first heard jump, I thought sort of sounded a little bit like organ you might hear at a ballpark. I didn't I didn't <laughs> I'm like, this isn't going to sound right on a Van Halen record. He goes, and now when you go to a stadium pretty sporting, you know, you hear his jump every, you know such an anthem every you know nba game and nfl game they they all play you know it's constantly played and so you know ted gives full tribute there to Ed, uh and band itself putting that song together but that would be a, an example of something where he was unsure you know but let those guys you know kind of said hey let's all right let's go let's give it a try see where it goes we'll just we'll just work on it and it just it developed into this great great thing that he's come to really appreciate as
2: a brilliant song that's pretty crazy to think about. Is that let's just say he really pushed to say this isn't right. We shouldn't do this, and then they never did it. You know what I mean? And we never would have heard it, and and obviously that's one of Van Halen's biggest uh, commercial songs. You know, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah, and I think you know, I, it's it's Ken and I both worked really hard to get the get that aspect of the story across. So, you know, and again, it was just for Ted. I think I'm saying, uh, I'm fair. I'm saying in a very fair way to to um, to what Ted said in the book is that. You know, he didn't think it necessarily fit with Van Halen. It didn't have anything to do with, oh, that isn't cool, or, wow, Ed, you came up with something really neat. He just was thinking about it in the context of Van Halen, right? Just thinking, like, are kids going to turn on this record and hear this keyboard song? And What's happened to my band? What do those guys do? You know, I don't like this. This is not what I expected. I remember, even as as a teenager, I just started really listening to Van Halen. I do remember older kids saying, you know, you know, kids who were you know started with Van Halen on Van Halen two. This would have been like I was 14 at the time, so this would have been like the 19 year olds you'd talk to, and they'd be like, yeah, "You know, Van Halen sucks, man." You know, they would kind of say compared to like, you know, what the hell happened to you know, Cradle Rock was great, you know, or whatever they would say. They would just sort of talk about that. So I get that, um, you know, aspect of it, but yeah, it's interesting to think about that. But you know, it was, it was uh, the other thing I think too is that uh, you know, Ted was somebody who was willing to give it a you know give it a shot. He wasn't gonna be the, the to veto something that Ed felt so passionately about. And that was the thing, I mean, that's the truth. the truth is that Ed really thought it was a good idea. And he was like, this I wanna work on this and kind of, you know, pushed back against Dave and um, Ted who were, you know, were just had, you know, reservations about it. It was to make I think if you all, we all think about how different Gump is a chain it's understandable why you might be like, yeah, I get it. Why that might be like, hmm, I don't know if it's going to work. But, you know, you know, it all, uh, it all worked out in the end. They worked on the song and particularly fell. And Don, Landy, too, and Alex felt so passionately about Jump. That was really the first song that they, quote, unquote, finished. Um, in terms of recording the album, they worked on that song in the summertime, whereas some of the other stuff... The Copper Teacher and some of the other material on the record got finished later in the fall, so it was just saying there was just a real, you know, it was a song that Ed had stuck in his head and really wanted to get recorded. And they they got it done.
2: If we go forward a little bit to Eatem and Smile, that was one of my early hard rock metal purchases, so it has a very special place in my heart. Um, that had to have been weird for Templeman with the split with the band and him kind of going with uh, with Roth. Yeah, I, I think you
0: know I. Uh, that period of time is really, really well detailed in the book. Ted was really impassioned when he would talk about that. I think primarily the thing I want people to understand, even before they open the book, is that Ted hated the idea of Van Halen breaking up. Right. That he never, ever wanted Van Halen to break up, and he did everything he did in his power. Um, to try to stop it from happening, which didn't mean he could do you know, he couldn't, you know, it's like trying to stop someone from getting divorced. He can't stop a couple from getting divorced But getting divorced. He did everything he could to try to to be a mediator and try to, you know, do he could to sort of convince people to um you know, I think particularly Dave, who was probably communicating more with Dave at that point to kind of, you know, hey look, think about this. This you don't want to do this and um but, um yeah the Eat him and Smile thing is it's uh it's head is enormously in that to step back even further, Ted had done the, the EP with Dave. So in the summer of 84, Ted and Dave went to New York City while they were on a tour break and did the four-song EP, Crazy from the Heat, which was sort of had the fun pop songs on it. It was meant to be a little passion project for Ross. And uh, so they had already done a solo solo thing, and then when they put together this, the Eat of a Smile Band, which is they said, hey, Dave, you know, put it together the Eat of Smile Band, those guys all went to the studio, uh, Templeman and the four guys, and yeah, they did that, and uh, that was, a, I think, a, a real cool experience for Ted because he ended up working with such an, ama- an amazing band once again. Like Ted said, like, you know, there's no, there was no replacing the, the original band, but Ted really emphasized how incredible these guys were to work with. Meaning, she and Steve I and Greg Destinet, that The musicianship was just off the charts, and it was sort of like a dream band. So as you know, as disappointed and bitterly disappointed Ted was that Van Halen had broken up. And I and I say that, and Ted talks about this in the book. You know, Ted had, Ted was under no illusions that he probably was not going to produce the next Van Halen record, after I before, That there had been there had been difficulties in making the record, which are discussed, I think, pretty well in the book. Um, you know, and there was just sort of, it was just everyone needed a break from each other, meaning Ted and Ed and Don, and they all just sort of needed to sort of step back because things had gotten, had gotten difficult in finishing that record. Um, and so I don't think you know, the thing is that Ted wasn't, wasn't walking around going, well, I'm going to produce the next Van Hill record. I think, in fact, he probably thought that I probably am not going to produce another Van Halen record, but it was just more for him. It was just, you know, he said it was like, uh, the greatest rock and roll band I ever was around splitting up at their absolute peak, it just made me feel sick. And he just said it just made me feel so awful that they couldn't find a way to make it, you know, kind of work out the differences. But the even smile band, yeah. Um, so part of it was done in uh, San Francisco at a fantasy studio, and then the rest was finished at the Power Station in New York, which was kind of the hot East Coast studio at the time. And uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a really a cool a cool uh, record, I think for for Ted as well. He got to do a couple of things that. They might not be able to do in the context of Van Halen record, you know, put strings and horns on. Uh, That's life. So mm-hmm. They had the Sinatra song, and then the, uh, you know, just the kind of other twists and turns that are that are in there along the way with the with the whole uh, Sheen and Vi thing. So it was it was a cool a, a cool uh, experience for for Ted. But as as the book details, you know, Ted always held out hope that. They would get back together. You know, that was what he wanted. He never thought, like, oh, this should be great. This would be, be great. They'll be split up for 20 years. I mean, I was <laughs> never, you know, he was like, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, um, I mean, it's like, you know, look what happened with Aerosmith. I, I don't think we said you used that the example in the book, but, you know, Aerosmith, they split for like two or three years and then came back together. You know, Tyler laughed, and, you know, Tyler, or I guess Perry laughed, and then the other guys drifted apart, and eventually Perry and Tyler. And the band reconnected and they did uh done with Mirror. so i think that was kind of ted's hope was that you know these guys will just blow off steam do their own records do a you know a sammy record and then a, a dave record and with you know van halen do, do a sammy and dave will do a solo record everyone will get back together that of course never never came to pass until much much much
2: later now I I like to do this stuff a lot. I do this stuff a lot on Twitter as well as I like to play like these uh, fantasy games where like this, this. What if this happened? What if that happened? So I, I also you know I often wonder if they would have stayed together with Roth. What do you think in your uh, estimation? What would have happened? Would they have had another huge album? Do you think it? What do you think they would have went if if uh, if they got if the you know Sammy never went in and they did an album with Roth?
0: Well yeah I mean I think I think the deal was. For me for in thinking about that, I mean it it's it's pretty clear that a lot of the material that Ed was writing was keyboard based at that sure. time. I'll give you an example. Like Dreams was an example of a song that Ed Van Halen showed, supposedly showed to the guys in Van Halen around the time of Diver Down or during nineteen eighty four, the idea for Dreams and they were all like, you know, they you know, they're kinda Ted and Dave Presumably we're not hip on it, but that was kind of the stuff that Ed was you know, he was doing more and more keyboard stuff. so it's hard for me to to um, imagine Dave singing over that stuff, but that you know if they had done another record with Dave, I, I, I do think there would have been more stuff like I'll wait and Jump than there would be um, then maybe we would we would think. and I think that's part of the reason why Dave got frustrated was because you know he didn't feel comfortable or didn't you know among the other issues that went on in, in the band at that time. Um, I think the musical direction was part of the part of the issue for Dave that Dave didn't like singing those kind of keyboard ballad type of songs, uh, if that makes sense. So yeah. if they were gonna make another record with Dave, I mean I think you would have and if it did if he did bite the bullet and kind of accept that Ed was the main guy who was coming up with the kind of the bones of every song, you know, the musical bones of every song, it would have been it would have been more keyboard aspect. And I'm sure it would have been an absolutely monster record. I think there's you know, it's almost impossible to imagine after selling five minutes, million copies of Van Halen 1984 that they wouldn't have sold even if it bombed you wouldn't have sold a one and a half million copies of uh, the follow-up so yeah i mean i think it was i think it was uh and you know the other thing too is the musical chemistry between those guys was so was so great they just even if they hated each other and gave Ed at different periods of time when they worked together with magical and that was just the, the the truth i mean there's just certain guys you put in the same room together and you get great music and that was the the way dave and uh bad
2: work so you know and i guess a lot of ways it's kind of good that things happen this way because i know for me i love steve Vai, and i love when steve Vai lines up with somebody like roth or david coverdale because that kind of brings steve Vai in a little bit you know what i mean because steve Vai is awesome in his own right but sometimes he goes kind of off the deep end with the stuff that he does and i love when that little bit of his style that weirdness that he has gets infused with like straight up hard rock because it's just amazing i think what he does is amazing
0: yeah, I mean, he was really the right guy for that band. I think the, uh, the uh, thing that's kind of surfaced over the last few years, Ted mentioned in the book, but it's been, it's been out, um, the information's been out for a while, is that Steve Stevens was actually the guy who was initially, I think Steve is the guy who actually um, kind of made that um, more publicly known, is that Steve was initially approached by Dave huh. to do the Eatin' and Smile band, and because Steve had a commitment to the Billy Idol, he couldn't, he couldn't make the timing work to join the David Lee Roth band. I mean, I think that would have been another an interesting pairing, but I think that Vi really ended up being the right, the right guy. He had this great sense of humor. He had obviously the virtuosity and, um, you know, he had the songwriting ability where he could, he could, he could write some pretty good rock songs. I mean, he wrote, wrote some stuff that was, I thought was pretty, pretty damn interesting, uh, on the Eagle and Smile record, and you know, Elf and Gun and some of the other, the other things that were really pretty cool. Um, Yankee Rose. Oh yeah. So yeah, in, in the context of the of that band, I mean that's the other thing too. Is so it's so unfortunate that that Dave didn't keep should name Dave or just it, it didn't stick together. That the team that was Sheehan, By, Bissinette, Roth, Templeman didn't stick together for uh, Skyscraper. Right. It's really unfortunate, I can think, um, because that was a pretty a pretty amazing amazing band and uh, the whole that, you know that record even a smile is is. Uh, it's still to me one of the uh the coolest things that uh Roth ever did. It's not you know just top the bandhill records, but certainly it's a solo record. I think it's you know, I think most people would agree
2: it's the best thing you ever did as a solo artist. Yeah. And it was the right album for the right time. And with the video age, Dave fit perfectly in all the everything that was going on in the mid to late eighties. So, I mean, yeah, it was a home run for him at that point at that point in his career. Um so Ted dabbled in a little bit into the hair model scene, and that's obviously, that's my scene that I like. Um, what do you say about the Bullet Boys? What was going on with Bullet Boys?
0: Yeah, you know, I was just on an interesting, I was just on a podcast the other night with Jimmy uh, DeAnda, who's the drummer for the Bullet Boys, yep. as you know, and uh, he, uh, he's he got some great stories about Ted. It's a really funny stories, but I, I won't steal all Jimmy's stories. But I will tell you that, uh, yeah, Ted, so how that all came to pass is that Ted Templeman's little sister, meaning she was two or three year, years younger than him, ended up working for Warner Brothers in the 70s and the 80s. And she was an A&R person, which means that she helped figure out who um, who Warner Brothers should sign and then you know, helped bring them to the attention of, of the executives who would sign the bands. And so she ended up getting a line on a band called the Bullet Boys. And my understanding is that she said well to jimmy this is a good story she said you know um jimmy and the guys in Bullet Boy. she said well i like your band i'm with warner brothers she's like but you know it's not really my thing she was she signed jane's addiction and she signed devo so she was more of a a, a um, more tuned to sort of the new wave more maybe more new wave pop type of stuff and so she said well i'm not you know it's not really my thing you what you guys do but my brother um might come down and, and check you out and so her name was roberta peterson because she she married um a gentleman, whether or not name of, of Peterson, um, so so uh, the way Jimmy tells the story, they're like, oh, some guy named Peterson's going to come down and say, <laughs> okay, cool. Like, and uh, anyway, Ted showed up at the rehearsal and uh, watched them, and then uh, yeah, offered to sign them. Uh, for which Ted explained in the book that he said his sister was like, you know, this these guys could be something good for Warner Brothers, and you should check. You know, basically, she was very she really thought the band had a lot of talent and was very like pushing Ted to do it. You, you know, um, she, I, Ted said she was like militant about it. Like he was like, I don't know. You know, like, know what like, just, when she told the story, um, which had told the story, she was, uh, she was like, no, you have to go. Like, you have to go. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll go. And he, but he really did like the band. And, they, and then they find them. Um, they did the record in LA and it was a, a great production team they had. Up. so at this point, Ted was working with an engineer named Jeff Henderson, who's a friend of mine now and a friend of Jimmy's. And um, pretty much everything after 1985 that Ted did, uh, Jeff Henderson, who Ted met at the power station um, in New York City, uh, or through, excuse me, through the power station in New York City. Um, great, great engineer. So even and Smile, Crazy from the Heat, Honeymoon Sweet, uh, all those, everything that Ted did, uh, Jim, uh, Jeff worked with Ted. And then uh, Toby Wright, who was the assistant engineer? And then Toby would go on, of course, doing Allison Chains and Metallica mm-hmm. and Justin yep. Crawley worked on. So a lot of big, big records that Toby worked on as well. So they had this great, great Sonic dream team, as I like to say. And that's one of the reasons that record sounds so great. But, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy really does a great job too. And Ted talks about it a little bit in the book, but Jimmy and tell you in more detail that Ted was really, uh, instrumental in a lot of arrangements of the songs. for example ted had forgotten this and i actually reminded him we were working on the book and he said oh yeah i guess that's true yeah that is true that ted's the one who came up for the drum beat for uh for the love of money oh, okay so the ted was ted was a drummer Is it was, you know ted doesn't play drums anymore when he was a kid he played trumpet and drums and he actually played drums in his rock bands when he was a teenager in the 50s 60s and uh he he came up with that you know that drum beat for, for the love of money and so jimmy was like yeah ted was like you know like, uh, you know, the kind of said, I want to sit at your drums and show Jimmy what he wanted. Jimmy didn't know he could play drums, and he was like, oh, you can play drums. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I can play drums. And he like, basically, <laughs> <you> know, basically <laughs> played the beat for me. He's like, this is what I, you know, as they were working on the song. And so that's uh, that's kind of stuff that Ted would do too, really get in with the arrangements of the, you know, kind of help those guys. All they actually work with, craft their songs and make them better. You know, as a producer, you trying to make the songs better. But, um, you know, he was, uh, he was, Extremely proud of the. Uh, he talked about how proud he was of uh, the mix that Ted didn't actually have that very much to do with. It was actually the engineer Jeff Henderson, who mixed, um, you know, uh, "Smooth Up in You." That mm-hmm. uh, Ted said that um, that at that point in time, the, the uh, mixing consoles had gone digital and they'd gotten really, really complicated. And Ted said it sort of had out exceeded his ability to to run the board, like you know, the old days when they had the tape had the tape. Machines and the, the old boards that were from the 70s. Ted could do, would mix, and he said, but eventually it just kept getting more and more sophisticated, and I just couldn't keep up. So I could do something, but I really couldn't sit at the board and mix anymore like I used to. So I would just basically sit with the engineer and, and talk to them, and, and we would we would talk, and they would they would make changes. So Jeff said to, to Ted, "Leave me alone for a few hours. I'm just going to work on it." And Ted said, "Sure, I'll you know, take a whatever, take a break." Ted left for a few hours, came back, and, and Ted said it was just un- unbelievable that how Jeff had mixed that thing and made it sound so monstrous. And said so it was just a, a great moment for him as a you know, as a producer and then someone obviously was working with this engineer and you see the engineer kind of as really can just like do this incredible work with the Ted that he was just so thrilled that, you know, Jeff had like put this thing together. He's like, Yeah, that's that's perfect. You know, that's but I mean I couldn't make that any better, you know, even if I told you to do this, do that. So talked a lot about that song and how powerful you know the records and how big and how powerful it sounded and just um, you know, it was a cool it was a cool uh I think, uh, instance, for Ted to get really back into that hard rock stuff, which wasn't um, something that he did all the time. You know, he did a lot of different types of artists, from pop to to jazz, I mean, to jazz stuff. So he did a lot of diversity of stuff, but, you know, to kind of do that real hard rock, heavy metal stuff, I think that was a fun pick for Ted,
2: too. It's kind of funny to think that, you know, Ted's involved, it's on Warner Brothers, and there's kind of that little bit of Van Halen vibe with Bullet Boys. It's it's, it's kind of funny, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, I think it's funny. Ted never really, like you know like talk to me overtly about that i think that was more i mean i think that's where it's sort of baked into the cake i mean i think that's obvious that you know i'm sure ted understood that those guys were kind of a you know kind of in the mold of van halen but i mean he never said we're going to try to make this sound like van halen i mean in fact i think if you talk to jimmy ted would constantly try to emphasize like you guys got to get your own like you can't just like you know anyone who any artist he works with and and jimmy said he said it to those guys like you know, you should just, you know, you guys got to forge your own way. Like, they'd say, oh, we want to sound like this or whatever. Like, not necessarily Dan Halen, but anything. you like, you guys got to get your own sound. You know, you can't, no, no great artist, you know, is, who's going to laugh is like, I want to copy Led Zeppelin, not those guys, but anyone. Anyway, you know, like, I want all our albums to sound just like Led Zeppelin. Well, after a while, it's kind of become boring, right? Because you're like, well, I just listen to Led Zeppelin. I won't listen to this. These guys were copying Led Zeppelin. So Ted, um, as Jimmy points out, really sort of said, you're going to make, you know, you really want to try it Blaze your own trail to get your own own sound, and those guys, you know, for better or for worse, sure they had the Van in comparison, but I think you know they had their own their own thing going. That record did did great, went gold, and it was a big a big MTV hit, as we both know. and It was a big big success.
2: Oh, definitely. Um, is there a life lesson to learn? Uh, you know, by his from uh, Ted's life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the life lesson learned from the book is that you know you have to persevere through, I think everybody knows this, you know, you know really, be, especially if the person veered through, through tough times, the the uh, the part of the book that's really, for me, kind of, was kind of a, a, a revelation for me is that when Ted talked about when he, so when Ted was younger, Ted was in a band called Harper's Bazaar. So they were sort of a, a soft rock, pop band. They weren't really rock, or a soft pop band. It would have been called what's called sunshine pop. So bands like The Fifth Dimension, Mamas and the Papas, the Association, those like late mid-late 60s, really soft rock stuff, um, soft pop stuff was was uh, kind of Kevin like Macon Harper's Bazaar. And by 1970, they had um, kind of run their course. They had four records of Warner Brothers, so Ted did four albums um, as a Warner Brothers recording artist. And then he was looking to think about going into production. He wanted to be a producer. But of course, you know, you don't just walk out of a group, with a 25-year-old, and they go, here's the keys, you know, the studio, go at it, you know start recording bands, you have to work your way up. And so, um, Ted had to start at the very bottom as a, a tape listener. So he went from being a, a, pop star on TV to being the guy who was, you know, sitting in the room with no windows with the radio, with the, uh, the radio and the, um, the tape player, and just listen to demo after demo, after demo, after demo. And so the band that Ted found, we were doing that was the Doobie brothers. He was, uh, instrumental in getting them on Warner brothers. And so, you know, Ted, talked quite a bit about in 1970 right before this happened he was thinking about quitting the music industry that he was just like you know what i've got a kid a college degree and maybe I'll become a school teacher or work in a bookstore he was just he was a history major and loved history and he's like you know what, this is you know i don't you know basically you know this isn't it isn't um it, it if, if no, basically if the music industry doesn't want me why should i you know why should i like you know be banging my head against the wall because it's you know it's uh it wasn't as if that uh As I said, that he was being uh, showered with job offers to do the type of because it was a career change. It wasn't. It was going from being an artist to being somebody who was going to work in the in the back end of the industry in some way. So he uh, he almost quit the music industry. Thank God he didn't. Right. Yeah. Um, Right. So that was you know that was the life lesson. I think to sort of you know if you if you you know really want something like we all know you just got to to work work your way uh, through the difficult times and you know get your get your foot in the door and go for it.
2: Now, once you get a book done, are you on the horizon ready for the next one or w- how does it work?
0: So, yeah, I mean, I think right now with, as we know, we're in the midst of coronavirus health for right. everyone in the United States. I think it's like, it's a whole, it's a whole different, like, different, um, mindset for me in terms of things. I mean, I think what I, I really was trying to focus on in the next couple of months is trying to roll out this book with Ted and we had right. plans to do, we were going to do, um, and we will do, them. I, I think eventually, we do a book event for sure in Pasadena. We're hoping to do something maybe at one of the universities in Los Angeles, kind of a master class with Ted, which we were working on, and then maybe a couple of other bookstores on the West Coast. Ted's out on the West Coast, and that's where he, you know, we kind of would emphasize this, sort of these events, and we had some really cool stuff worked uh, up to ready to go, And of course, everything kind of fell to hell right. because of what happened. You know, again, I'm not – I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world for me, obviously. There's people that have much worse than I do, but you know, it's sort of a it's it's uh, it's sort of difficult to uh, to kind of try to think about doing another book when you're trying to figure out like how to do this stuff right now, which one of your plans but they so carefully thought out how to do this they are gonna kinda of on hold for a while. But you know, uh, that said, um I really wanted to do this book in particular Beyond it being Ted, but I thought it would be interesting to do a different you know, I just didn't want to do another quote unquote rock bio where it was like just tell the story of a band. I really wanted to try to, to do a, a true biography. Um, you know, that was one of the things I always wanted to do as a writer. And just the opportunity came with Ted, I think mean, there's no better I mean, it's like a dream, you know, for me honestly, everyone who who knows anything about me should know it's like a dream come true, and I'm like eternally grateful to Ted for this. It's the greatest thing uh, as a writer. It's been incredible, he's been amazing to work with. Um, but you know, I will do probably another Van Halen book. I, uh, I it just, it's hard for me to kind of get in my mind to think about that because everything's so uncertain now. You know, it's like, I don't know, you know, how it's going to be because it could be like in June when like, oh, hey, green light, we can go and we'll do these book events. So it's kind of hard for me to sort of think like I should start the next project, when I don't really know how the promotion for the next one, if that makes sense. It's just, it's, it's, for me, it's kind of an unknown quantity at this point, how it's going to work in terms of, uh, you know, is it all going to get, um, Pushed back for two months, three months, who knows? So it's it's difficult, especially because L.A. is now, as you as you um, and I both know, and everyone listening knows, is a real tough place for the disease right now. And it's locking it down pretty hard, so it's kind of hard to know. Um, so you know that that being said, there's there's certainly another Van Halen book in my in my blood, and probably some other other books as well. But um, yeah, it was I, I would sort of would have you know kind of in, in, imagined it. April you roll the book out, you stuff it to May, and then you can start to work on. Thinking about another book, but it's sort of, you know, it's uh, you know, it's sort of all unsettled going forward. Trying to think about how to promote in terms of appearances and stuff like that, which I really do hope that happens because um, if people want to check it out, they can go on YouTube and Google Ted Templeman Veil Rising or whatever, it'll come up. And see Ted, there's the uh, text appearance of Roman that's with me at the bookstore in Pasadena. It was just, it was so great him out there to answer questions. I mean, it was like, you know, it was just, for me, it was, as an author, it was incredible. But I think for, as a fan sitting there and everyone else in the room was a fan, it was like so cool to hear Van Halen's producer say like, oh yeah, this is how I used to do this. And this is what we used to do. And just kind of giving you the inside uh, perspective on making those great records with Van Halen that nobody else could do. And so, you know, to have Ted sit there again, hopefully in the next few months, Ed Bromans in Pasadena. Which, by the way, he applied for a job there. Actually, that's one of that's the irony of that Which, which <laughs> he almost went to work at, which is really great. I mean, it's like it was like so so fitting. Because um, Ted was living in Pasadena at the time in 1970. Maybe do some other events as well. I'm hoping it's going to happen. It's just you know, it's just you know, I'm just, uh, let's put it, it's very unclear what's going to happen and not knowing how things are going to be, be able to uh, finally on, 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 uh, disentangle themselves with all this stuff with
2: the so unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the promotion of something and being in crowds, obviously that that can't happen right now. But, you know, it is a nice time if people have to lay low, get a book. A lot of people have a lot of time on their hands right now. So who knows? Maybe, you know, that'll work in your favor, that piece of it.
0: I'm hoping so. I mean, I think that it's, I I would say to people who are are thinking about checking it out, I mean, it's a book that tells the story of a guy who grew up a jazz, you know, a jazz buff, like a jazz phenom, loved playing the trumpet. And sort of, you know, you you learn through Ted's eyes and Ted's life how all the music he devoured as a kid, from from Jerry Lee Lewis to to Elvis to Stan Kenton to all these uh, Charlie Parker, and all these jazz guys, to these early rock guys, it all kind of, it all sort of ended up playing out in the albums he made if that made sense. In other words, his his musical education as a kid and a teenager. Really, really shows up if you um, listen to the records. Once Ted explains, you know, I put I put uh, congas on this album, particularly because I loved this this album when I was a kid. Or I did strings on this because I love Motown. So sort of, to sort of, sort of have all of that in there. So for people who are interested in sort of the musical development of the of the 20th century, particularly in how how um, a producer thinks, you know, in terms of like how do you how do you craft a hit, how do you draw upon your own Musical love from Stax Records to Motown Records to to all you know all sorts of jazz, as I said, folk, all these things, and how those all sort of can be heard through the Doobie Brothers, through Little Feat, through Carly Simon, through Van Halen. It's really, I think, an eye-opening thing for people, and hopefully they'll they'll dig the story because it, it it gives you also a a real I think bird's eye view of what it was like to work for the biggest record company in the world, or arguably one of the biggest record companies in the world through their their absolute peak in the through the 70s, all the way up through um, the 90s when Ted left Warner Brothers.
2: Greg, what's the release date of the book?
0: The release date of the book, Ted Templeman, is, is out April 21st, so it's available for pre-order on Amazon now, Barnes & Noble, um, all, you know, obviously any electronic bookstore you want, Walmart, you can get it from anywhere, Target. Um, Audible, it's going to come out through Audible, audiobook. That'll be the same day, presumably April 21st, it'll be out. And then um, it's going to come out in paperback or ebook. So, you know, your Kindle or whatever, your, your Nook, whatever you read on, you can get the uh, PDF for the, the Kindle or Nook book and read it. And, of course, it'll come out of paper. And then, you know, again, um, online is really the way to go now. Of course, a lot of these bookstores are shutting down, unfortunately. They close the doors. But, right. um, yeah, it should be available once things clear up in any any bookstore in any town. There'll be copies there and uh, full of pictures. I'll tell you, there's a couple of real surprises from the photographs. that uh, I have not really revealed who's, who's donated some photographs to the book, but it's really cool. Lots of um, unseen photographs. You know, again, sort of the stuff you might expect of Ted as a kid and stuff like that, but some stuff of uh, some of the bands Ted worked with and some really cool memorabilia from Ted's collection in there that we got in this book. So it, it's, it's got some real cool visuals as well, and 400-plus um, 400 pages, 440 pages, so it's, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, oh, you know, how do you know when to stop it? You know, you sort of like when you to reach that Moby Dick line. It was, you know, it was we were getting there. So it was, it's a great dense read that I think will really hopefully capture people's attention. It's, it's not a, it's not a uh, um, uh, uh, an overview. It really dives into a lot of the albums in very great depth, from the biggest Doobie Brothers hits to Nicolette Larson, Honeymoon Sweet. You know, you name it. All the stuff that Ted did throughout the course of his career it's going to be it's going to be covered in detail so hopefully people will really uh, enjoy that as well
2: awesome man i wish you lots of luck with it it was a pleasure talking with you tonight
0: mike it was always always uh a pleasure to sit and talk to the man who talks to the my heroes <laughs> <laughs> enjoy, your podcast. So enjoy your, your podcast very much it's uh really been uh, listening and it's been fun to talk to you tonight so anytime happy to do
2: it yeah and i'm sure we'll be communicating on twitter you got it all right brother take care
1: that was an awesome conversation with greg well now you know what you have to do get online and buy the book. we'll have some links in the description well let's talk about what's coming up on this channel you know it's been a few weeks and now it's time for an 80s glam metal beatdown our next episode will be Alice Cooper versus Lackey Lawless. It's going to be an epic shock rock showdown. You got to check it out. Rock on!